Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Well, it's really great to be here. Uh, he talked about Samaritan Aviation. I just want to uh, start off by saying thank you. This church supports Samaritan Aviation. You support Samaritan Aviation. Uh, we are so blessed by this congregation. This is one of our, uh, we have some churches that back us, but this is definitely by far our most favorite church to partner with. And we just love you guys. And uh, the Palms are back in Papua New Guinea. And uh, yeah, we're so excited about that. And uh, they have been just, they hit the ground running. Uh, there's several stories that uh, I could share with you. But if you go to our Facebook and get on our newsletter list, uh, you can see some of the uh, recent events that have taken place. And we're just excited to see the hand of God just doing some miraculous things and saving lives and then reaching them for Christ. So it's, it's, it's been fun. Um, I'm going to come out of Ephesians chapter 5, but I, I want to set the tone for just a few minutes before we go to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I left uh, Mesa, Arizona last Friday on a road trip, and I normally don't have a schedule like this, but it's been, it's been fun, it's been interesting. Uh, I left Friday to go to Montrose, Colorado, and there was a friend of ours that was getting married, and it was on this, in this ranch setting outside, and it was just, just a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Saw friends, saw old church members, uh, saw a few enemies, saw all kinds of people, and, and it was, uh, it was a, a great experience. Then I left, I, I left Montrose, went to Gallup, uh, met with an old church member. I, I came to Christ in a Gallup church and lived there for a number of years, and had a breakfast with a guy that I knew really well about 30 years ago, and we just had lost contact. And then I left Gallup, went to Flagstaff, and spent time with the Wacharas and some uh, other friends that uh, I recently met and uh, came in here and uh, got to spend most of the day with your pastor. And uh, boy, today he was instrumental in really speaking into uh, some things that we're working through with Samaritan Aviation. We just appreciate uh, him and Kathy and uh, just being a part of what we're doing and, and get to be here tonight and have another meeting here tomorrow, then I get to head home. But saying all of that, I have a reason because as you go through our highways in America, we have some really cool features in our highway systems and they're called guardrails. And we have guardrails all over the place. And... Uh, um, Guardrails are for a reason, obviously. They're to protect us. They're to guide us. They're to help us through. We have guardrails on the edges of roads. We have guardrails in medians. We have guardrails on bridges. And guardrails are placed in what we would call safety zones right before you get to the danger zone. Now, some places don't have guardrails. And when you see that there's no guardrails there, it's pretty scary. Go to this one slide that we have here. I think it's the very next slide. How many have ever been on Red Mountain Pass? That's out where I used to live. Red Mountain Pass? This is between Silver City and Uray, Colorado. You can go off of this side of the road and fall two or 3,000 feet. And if you notice, there's no guardrails on this road. You think they need guardrails there, right? The reason why they don't have guardrails there is when it snows, they got to be able to push the snow off the road, and the guardrails wouldn't let them do that. So that's why there's no guardrails. We're going to come back to that picture in just a moment. Let me show you one more picture real quick. I think it's the next one. There, well, there's guardrails. There you go. Now let's go to the next one. Never mind. Let's back up. <laughs> go back. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So guardrails, 
they're, they're, they, when you see guardrails, I think it really makes us feel safer. You know, you kind of feel contained. And they really, guardrails also do something else. They minimize the damage. Like, it's so much better to, to slide up against a, a guardrail and get your car fender scraped than to go off of a cliff. Less damage if you slide on guardrails versus going off a cliff. And I don't think anyone argues with the logic of guardrails. In fact, I'm sure you've seen places in your highway or road that you travel on where you think, they ought to put a guardrail there. So why am I talking about guardrails? Well, roads aren't the only thing that needs guardrails. You and I need guardrails. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. If we, were, if we would break into small groups and spend a few minutes just talking about our life, I think all of us would come to the conclusion that had we had some guardrails in our life, we would have had less regrets, right? Yes. And if we would have had some things in place, it would have really helped us. If we would have had some financial guardrails, if we would have had some moral guardrails, if we would have had some relational guardrails, we probably would have less regrets. Now you can go to that picture of the tattoo. This one person I know has at least one regret, and it's the tattoo artist that they hired because they misspelled regrets. It says, we have no regrets. <laughs> so, yeah, let's move away from that. That is just hideous. Thank you. So, the other day, my wife and I, we made a leap of faith. We've been living in a very small condo for a long, long time. We bought that condo as a place to live. And so we're taking this leap of faith, and we just bought a house that is more of an investment for us. We don't see ourselves retiring here. We see ourselves buying this house, fixing up a little. And if the economy holds, real estate markets holds good, we hope to turn it in two or three years and, and make it a little bit of a profit. Now, it is a modest home, but it is probably the nicest home that we've ever bought. And when we closed on it just about 10 days ago, uh, we had to put a down payment. So we had a cashier's check, and this check is a modest check. It'd be a modest check for most of us in the room, but it is the largest check that we've ever written. So my wife and I were in, the, in this room. It's a, it's a small office, and we're, we're going through the closing, and the closing agent is on one side of the desk. I'm right here. The check is right there. My wife is right there. And so we're signing all the paperwork. And if you've done it before, there's lots of paperwork. And then she comes to the place and she says, now's the time where we receive your check. And she sees the check. It's right there. And so I know this is the moment that I'm supposed to slide the check over to her. And I'm looking at her. I'm looking at the check. I'm looking at Mary. I'm looking at the check. I'm looking at her. My arm just will not come up to slide the check going across. And the pause is long enough that she said something really funny. She looked at me, she looked at my wife, and she said, would you like me to leave the room and give you three a moment? <laughs> just me, my wife, and the check. And it was like, I think she felt like that, you know, this is, this is like our son. You know, that check is our son, and he's going off to war, and we don't know if we'll ever see him again. You know, that kind of a feeling. And, and I'm just, I, at that moment, I'm thinking, is this a, is, am I going to regret this in two or three years? Is, is this a good move on our part? Because this is a huge investment for us. And so ask me in two or three years, and, and I'll, I'll let you know. But, you know, we, I think we would all agree that if we could set some guardrails in place, now we will have fewer regrets in the future. So let me talk to you about our culture for just a moment. 
Our culture really doesn't encourage us to have guardrails. In fact, there's people that we love and, and hold dear. There might be family that if you did establish some guardrails in your life, they might not like it. They might discourage you from doing it. Take somebody that's uh, they, uh, a group of drinking buddies, and all of a sudden one night one of the drinking buddies comes in and says, you know what, I'm drinking too much, and I'm not going to drink anymore. That makes all those guys mad. Well, you, you, you just ruined the party. You, you don't even come anymore. Okay? You can't drink. And, so, and here are close friends pointing fingers and say, why are you doing this? You don't need that guardrail. How about somebody that, and we all have somebody close to us, maybe even a family member that'll come and, 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 and come to their friends or family and say, I've decided that I'm no longer eating meat. And oh, man, that causes problems sometimes. It's like, we can't go to Chili's with you anymore. Where are we going to go eat? We can't go to Whataburger. We can't go to McDonald's. We can't go to Burger King. Let's just go to Safeway and go to the produce section and just graze a little bit. How about that? You, you know, and so a lot of people, they don't like it when we establish guardrails. And our culture really doesn't challenge us to establish guardrails. They, let's go back to that road, Red Mountain Pass. They, they offer us little lines. Lines are suggestions. They're, they're not, you know, guardrails make a statement. Lines make a suggestion. And so in our culture, we have... We have suggestions, and, 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 and let me give you an example. There, here's a, a suggestion, and, and everybody hears it all across the country, and it's the statement, drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Well, where is it all of a sudden irresponsible? Our states try to regulate it, and they say, hey, if your alcohol content is right here, you know, you're irresponsible. If we would go down to one of the bars tonight, about 15 minutes before we're closing, open the door and yell and say, hey, how many of you guys are still irresponsible or responsible? And, and there'd be three drunks falling off the stool saying, I'm responsible. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's a suggestion. It's, it's not a guardrail. How about this? With our teenagers, there's, there's this one statement that, that we say when we're talking to them about sex, and it's, it's a suggestion our culture has, and it's wait until you're ready. Now, I'm going to tell you that I think a woman invented that phrase. And it's not a knock on women, but I would tell you if you go to teenage boys and say, wait until you're ready, they're going to say, I was born ready. <laughs> it's not a guardrail. It's a suggestion. How about this? And I think this is the worst suggestion our culture has by far. It is just listen to your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but my heart can be, and I'm going to use a phrase that Louis L'Amour uses when he's writing Western novels, and he's describing how his character sitting at the campfire likes his coffee. My heart can be black as the hinges on the gates of hell. And if I catch my heart at that moment as my guide, I'm in trouble. And so it's a horrible suggestion. You know, just listen to your heart. This morning, I was out running. And I was out by your main park over here, and I saw a lady that was also running, and she, she was winded, so she started walking. And I saw her walk past this park bench, and there's a guy sitting there that looked like he'd been sitting there all night. And right when she walked past, this guy gets up immediately and gets right behind her. And my creep meter just spiked, and I'm thinking, this is not good. And right when he gets up and starts walking, she took off running, but she's so winded, she's not running very far. 
And so I'm listening to my heart, right? So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do. So I'm kind of just slowing down and I'm looking. I'm about 50 feet away from her. I'm on the sidewalk and she's closer to the park. And I decided, well, I'm going to do something. And so I stopped and I walked over to her. And now I'm thinking in her head, she's thinking, now there's two creeps at this park. <laughs> you know, and so I walk up to her and I said, ma'am, I said, are you all right? She said, Why? I said, well, I saw right when you passed that park bench, that guy stood up and you took off running. I just want to see if you're okay. This guy was a big guy. If we got into altercation, I, I could be a distraction while she runs away. <laughs> I mean, but she, she looks at me and then she looks back and looks at that guy and then she laughs. She says, that's my husband. <laughs> so I didn't want to talk to him, so I just kept, I took off. So listening to your heart's not always going to work. So one of the first things I learned about Billy Graham, and Billy Graham was always my idol growing up in the ministry, is he was known, and how many have ever heard of the Billy Graham rule? Okay, the Billy Graham rule. Billy Graham established a guardrail in his life right in the early days of his ministry, and he wanted to avoid any kind of false accusation. So he said this, outside of my wife... I will never ride in a car with another woman alone. I will never have breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or coffee with a woman by myself. I will never meet with a woman in a closed door by myself. It was called the Billy Graham rule. And uh, that's a guardrail he established early, early on. Now, recently, one of our, actually our vice president, Mike Pence, uh, lives by the Billy Graham rule, and he takes a lot of flack. Now, our culture will sometimes bring flack on you when you establish a guardrail. But I'll tell you what, you might not be celebrated, but you will have fewer regrets in life if you establish some guardrails. Now, the Old Testament, the New Testament talks a lot about boundaries, about guardrails. And I'm going to go to Ephesus now, and we're going to go to the book of, or let's go to the book of Ephesus, and I'm going to talk to, talk to you, Ephesians, talk to you about Ephesus, excuse me. Uh, Ephesus is this interesting place, and I'm sure Pastor John has talked to you about this city. It was a, a mecca of religion for a long, long time. And there in Ephesus, there was the Temple of Artemis, which this is also the worship of the goddess Diana. And this is a, a horrible, horrible religion that is linked with sexual impurity. Um, she was the goddess of fertility. And uh, as we read in the book of Acts, there was a lot of commerce in the city that was built around this religion. There were idol makers, and they would make these little idols of the goddess Diana. And everybody would have these idols in their living room, in their bedrooms, and all around the house, in their patio. Businesses would have this, and it's all about prosperity. They would have a conference once a year. I call it a conference, but it would be a gathering where people from all over that part of the world would come and participate in this conference. And it was so dark and so horrible that it involved prostitutes. And there's not enough prostitutes in Ephesus, so they would ship prostitutes in. They come in by ship. They come in by road, and there would be this whole week of just horrible things happening. This is the city that Paul goes into. Now, there's an element of Jews there that he spends a lot of time convincing them of who Jesus Christ is, but he works tirelessly to win the Gentiles over. So I'm going to get back to boundaries here in just a moment, but historians show us that 50 years later, 
that 90% of the town or the city of Ephesus were Christian. It was, in, in fact, this religion was eventually completely eliminated, and what an incredible work that took place. So the book of Ephesians is really a book that is to new converts saying, this is how you live. You have come out of something that is so dark and so horrible. I want you to know this is what it's like to have a deeper spiritual walk with God. And so in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, Paul just begins to tell them, here's some guardrails. Set these guardrails in place in your life, and it'll help you grow spiritually. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. And I want to show you something that Paul says here. He said, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Be careful how you live. There are some translations that put it this way. Not be careful how you live. It says, be careful how you walk. So to describe what Paul is telling these people, because where they've come out of is such a dark and horrific place. Be careful how you walk. Have you ever owned a little backyard and a big dog at the same time? (laughs) So when you go into that backyard, you kind of watch really careful where you walk because you don't want to step in something. And he's saying that to these people is you've come out of something, a a big, big mess, and you want to be careful how you walk because you don't want to stumble back into a a situation that is just not good. And so here are these guardrails, and, and I'm looking at these guardrails, and it's challenging me because I'm beginning to realize that I used to have some guardrails in certain places anymore, and I really don't anymore. And it'll be so easy to stumble into some of these areas. Some of the things that he's talking to them about doesn't really impact me as much or tip me as much, although we're, we're capable of falling into almost any kind of a sin. But there are some in there that say, whoa, I've got to remember, I've got to establish some guardrails here and get those in motion because it, there could be some huge problems if I lower my defenses. So... I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the guardrails that just just popped out um, and and just came to my attention. Um, About a week, week and a half ago, I had a young man that came to my office and he said, I got to talk to you about something. I want you to help me with a problem that I have. I'm all ears. Tell me what it is. So he says, uh, and this young man has a huge responsibility at work and uh, he's responsible for stuff that can cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And he says, you know what? If I make make a mistake at work and my boss calls me out on it, I'll tell him the truth. I'll say, I did this. And it was my mistake. It's on me. He says, I have no problem saying that. But he says, last night I was at home and my wife and I were exhausted and we're going to bed. And she says, did you brush your teeth? And I said, yes, yes, I did. And he said, I hadn't. And he said, I just lied. And it was just, it was, I, I don't know why, but, and, and then she asked him again, did you brush your teeth? And he said, yes, I did. And he says, I don't, it, it, was it because she was then going to tell me to do something and I don't want her telling me what to do? Or was I too tired to brush my teeth? But I lied twice to her and I find myself lying over little things that really don't matter. And I'm afraid if I keep doing that, then I will eventually lie some, say some big lies at work. He said, would you hold me accountable? And I said, yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've asked him a couple of times now how he's doing. And he says he's doing fantastic. And I think he's lying, actually. But any, no, 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 I actually, 
I think he's doing well. But this young man set up a guardrail and he says, this is a problem and I've got to deal with it. Here's another one. Is he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 15, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. I've got some friends, and I even have a couple of family members that, one in particular, that, and, and I'm sure you know people like this. In fact, you might be one of them. They are brilliant. They are smart. They are intellectual, and they make the dumbest decisions that you've ever seen. <laughs> and it's, it's for a couple of them I'm thinking about is no doubt their intelligence, no doubt about their smartness, but they knee-jerk important decisions. They're impulsive. They don't think it through. They need a guardrail. They need, they need something in their head that says, before you go buy that business, <laughs> before you move out of town, before you marry that person, call this person and say, I need to walk this through with you. Would you help me? And if you could just get some of these people to slow down and think it through, they will make some good choices. So wisdom, you know, we all need wisdom, right? Making decisions. And what I love telling people when they're, they're going through a tough choice to make in life, I said, you know, there's a couple of filters that you can use. Here's, here's one of them is look at this decision that you're about to make and process it with these three questions. In light of my past experiences, in light of my present circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, how would this decision impact that? Run it through those filters and see what the outcome is. Here's another one. Let's, let's go to the next scripture we have up there, Philippians chapter 4, 8. There it is. Okay. Picture the decision that you're about to make. Actually, do it like that. Use your imagination. Turn your decision into fluid and put it into like an iced tea pitcher. And I want you to pour it through eight filters. And here's the filters. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent, praiseworthy, eight filters, Think about these things. Pour it in. Let's say it just goes right through. It, just, it is just flowing, and it is true, and it is noble. It is right, and it is pure, and it is lovely, and then it clogs at admirable. Then maybe you ought to rethink the decision you're about to make. So we need wisdom. Um, here's another one, and I'm going to spend a few minutes on this one. I'm going to close with this one. But some of us, especially someone, I'm talking to myself right now because this is what started my whole thoughts about God. Actually, folks, I'm just preaching to myself and you're getting to listen. <laughs> a guardrail that I know I need is margin. Is I need a boundary that says you're, you're running on empty. You're, 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 you're not taking care of the important things, and you're just too busy. Have you ever seen your computer just kind of bogged down? Yeah. And, you, you know, you grab your mouse, and you're trying to move the cursor, and the cursor just is not moving. It's just stuck right there, and it's just looking at you in the middle of the screen, and it is just defiant and say, try to move me. You have 
12 applications open. You've got more memory on this hard drive than it can even hold. And you're wanting to do three more things. I'm not moving. And then you start eliminating things, and you start backing things up, and you do a restart, and then maybe it starts moving around. Our, our life can be like that as people. It's just, it can be difficult and challenging when we are on overload. Research tells us that people today sleep two and a half hours less than people that lived here 100 years ago. And with, our, with, with all of our technology that we have, we're busier than ever. I thought technology was supposed to help us. And it just adds more on our plate. We're stressed with activities. We're, we're stressed with change and choices and work and debt. We have so many anxieties. So the solution is, is we need some personal guardrails. Some, some guardrails that's in the safety zone that gives us margin before we get to the danger zone. And when do most people put up guardrails? After the heart attack, when their blood pressure is skyrocketing, when they've had panic attacks, when, when their whole world is caving in. And, and that's, that's not the time. See, margin is the space between our load and our limit. Some people have margin. Some people are marginless. There was a doctor by the name of Richard Swenson. And listen to what he says describing the difference between lack of margin and margin. He says, marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser because you were 10 minutes late dropping the children off at school because you had to put gas in your station wagon. That's marginless. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath at the top of the staircase, money at the end of the month. Marginless is being asked to carry a load five pounds heavier than you can lift, but margin is having a friend carry half the burden. Marginless is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. <laughs> Margin is having time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is reality, and margin is the remedy. Marginless is the disease of our decade, and margin is the cure. There's four benefits that happen when we start building margin into our lives. More peace of mind. It is almost instantaneously done when, when you create margin in your Better health. You become a healthier person when you have margin in your life. More meaningful relationships. I don't know how many weeks that I wind up having like a 45-minute cup of coffee with somebody, and we never hardly scratch the surface of how we are doing or how their family is doing, and, and because we're all too busy. There's a lot of reasons why there's a collapse of our families in America. One of the reasons is what I'm talking about right now. Most people want to have family values. Most people believe in good family values, but no one has the time to implement those family values, and our families suffer. So more meaningful relationships. Here's the other one. It's a huge one, is that if we have margin, then we become more available for God to use us. Crazy thing happened to me about a week and a half ago, and that's that um, I get this. I'm, I'm on an international call uh, with actually Mark in Papua New Guinea, and while I'm talking to him, I get this guy calling me. He's ringing, 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 and so I'm just going to call him afterwards. And, and so like 10 seconds later, he calls me again, ringing, 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 ringing. 
And then, uh, then he starts texting me, you got to call me, you got to call me. And so I, I text him while I'm talking. I say, hey, I'll call you back in 30 minutes. Okay, be sure you call me back in 30 minutes. And he's just, he's just anxious. And, and I call him back, and I catch my friend on a freeway, and he says, hey, he says, I, I, I've got you on speakerphone, and i got a guy in this car. I want you to talk to him. And I, I don't know who it is. And he says, have you ever heard of Michael Jr., the Christian comedian? I say, yeah. He says, he's with me in the car right now. And so I wound up talking to this guy like four times, or yeah, four times in about the last six days. And it's all been on this road trip. And, and Michael Jr. is this amazing comedian. He's got a movie coming out October 18th called Humor with a Purpose. And so he, God has just really dealt with this man about, I want to use my gift as a platform to challenge people to make a difference. And so he says a comedian has a setup line, and he says, and we try to set up our punchline to where you don't see it coming. You think you know what I'm going to say, but I want to say something completely different that just makes you laugh. And he says, but in reality, we all have a setup line. A setup line, in, in his definition, is really who you are and, and how you're wired, and, and we all have this setup line. Our life experiences, what we're doing right now, where we're going, and he says, and we all have punchlines, but the punchlines that we have in life are always benefiting us. And he says, my challenge to these crowds that I'm talking to is to change the punchline. I want you to not always make it about yourself, but make a difference for someone else. And so he's using this platform and he's using his comedy to challenge people to go out and make a difference. So now the reason why he's calling me is because for a number of years I worked in volunteer management, worked with thousands of volunteers, and he's trying to create this volunteer army. And the problem is, is he's having a hard time recruiting people. Well, do you know why? Because people don't have time. People do not have margin. They like the idea. They like the concept. They just don't have time. This has impacted the church culture all, all over our country. Is 30 or five, I remember going to conferences several decades ago where they were handing out 30-year, 40-year, even one time a 50-year pin of people like working in the Sunday school for that many years. That is archaic. That is something of the past. We're celebrating if you can help us for six weeks, right? And so now, I mean, we've had to get smarter. Okay, so when I was working with these volunteers at Promise Keepers back in the 90s, I heard, I read a survey that was taken in the 80s, and they said young couples in the 80s have 14 less free hours a week than the couples that were living in the 60s. So 14 hours in the 60s, you could apply to anything you want. So, I mean, volunteerism, it was just through the roof. People helping at church all the time, helping for years at the church. It's not that way anymore. We're breaking it up into segments where somebody used to do the setup and do the presentation and the teardown of a particular ministry. Now, instead of having one person doing all that, you recruit somebody to do the setup. Then you have another person doing the presentation. Then you have another person do the teardown. It's because we have no margin. And the only way to really recruit people these days is to show them that, hey, this is not forever. This is for the first quarter of the year, or this is for the month of December. And then people say, oh, okay, there's an end date. I can do this. And so it's, it, isn't this crazy where God speaks to people and says, I want you to do this. And if you'll do this, your life will make a difference. And instead of saying, yeah, that sounds so cool, we go, oh, my goodness, another thing I got to do? And we wind up regretting when God calls us to do something. 
We need margin. We need guardrails. Steps of doing this, and I'm going to draw this to a close. First of all, accept your limitations. John and I were talking about, gosh, now you know you get in your 50s, you're heading towards your 60s. You're just not as fast as you used to be. You don't recover as fast as you used to. And so we got to recognize our limitations. Secondly, we have to be the ones that put space in our schedule. Nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. I love the little story I, I heard a while back where, where this, this young dad comes home every night and he's bringing home work with him. And his little girl who's in kindergarten is seeing this, you know, and, and he doesn't have time to play with her and he's taking home work all the time. And she says, Daddy, why, why are you bringing work home all the time? And he says, well, well cutie, I just, I, I have to. I don't get it all done at work and it's got to get done, so I have to bring it home. So she's speaking out of experience of being in kindergarten for a year. And she says, well, Daddy, why don't you ask your teacher to put you in the slower group? <laughs> <laughs> so if you're always late it's probably a sign that you don't have enough margin in life let's go to Proverbs 22 verse 3 I'll just read you the scripture here it says a prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. It's good to think about margin in your schedule. One more scripture. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. You can overload your schedule by 10 times the amount of work that you can do, and God's not going to stop you, but it doesn't mean it's beneficial. It's easy to say no to the things that we don't like, like a root canal. But it is, it is difficult to say no to things that we like. But we've got to discipline ourselves to do that because our health can be involved. It, it, it impacts our families. And the, next, and the last one is this. So accept our limitations, put space in our schedule. The third one is do less and trust God more. God can do in 20 minutes what it would take us 20 years to do. And if you've had dreams and you've been striving and working and, and slaving year after year after year and those dreams aren't coming to pass, you know what? I'm not saying quit, but maybe you ought to back off a little. Work a little less and trust God a little more and see what happens. And if you're stretched and if you're overloaded right now, there is a benefit because what that can do is just to force you to trust God. And even Paul talks about this in, in his ministry. And I, I'm, I'm going to use the message translation. He, he hit a wall. He was so burned out. And, and he was ready to throw in the towel. And he says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Instead of trusting our own strength our own wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. Yeah. Jesus didn't say if you're busy, you can move mountains. He didn't say if you work real hard and get really stressed, you can move a mountain. He says if you have faith, you can move a mountain. So let me just ask you this. What guardrails do you need in your life? Do you have an addiction and you need a guardrail? Is there a character flaw where you need a guardrail? Is there a weakness? 
Do you need a guardrail? Is there wisdom that you're needing? Is there margin that you're needing? Why don't we just bow our heads for a moment and why don't we just talk to God and, and, and uh, address this issue in our life? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Paul and the wisdom that he imparted to these new believers in Ephesus. Father, help us to do an inventory. I found myself realizing that I established guardrails years ago, and I haven't kept them maintained. And I have to go back and, and, and recommit to some guardrails in my life. Lord, I pray that you bring this to everyone's attention here, things that they can put in place that they will look down the road and celebrate the fact that they have less regrets because of these guardrails. And I just pray that you speak to us about this. And we thank you, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? And we're going to draw to a close right now. We're going to have some prayer, people that will want to pray with you. They're going to come up forward. And maybe you need to be like that young man that came to me and said, I need some accountability. Would you check with me? Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's not even somebody up here that's, that's going to pray for you. Maybe it's just somebody that you know and you have confidence in. Talk to them about a guardrail you need in your life. Uh, maybe there's other things. You, you, you just need prayer for, for healing, for, for God's blessing, God's favor. You want to pray with somebody about somebody that you love. Come on up, pray with these folks and the rest of you. God bless you and uh, come out Sunday morning. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.